and welcome to another episode of GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm Vicky Telios, your host. And my name is Yemen. I will be joining Vicky tonight. Today we are with Gavin Tolometti, who is a third-year PhD student in planetary sciences. Yes? Yes. And um, he's also the newest recruit, newest host to GradCast. So welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me again. No problem. So... You've been on the show a few times before, and um, let's talk a little bit about your research just in general. So you are working in geology, but you're more focused on planetary sciences? Uh, yes, I am. My Most of my research is in with geology, but with an aspect that links it to planetary science. Right. So the link is with my research. I study the surface roughness diversity of lava flows at in a lava field in Idaho, which is called Craters of the Moon. And the the link there is that some of these lava flows look similar to other lava flows on the moon and Mars and other types of melt rocks that we also see on the moon. Okay, cool. So it's sort of the idea that, you know, obviously it's very hard to actually go to the moon or Mars to study the rocks. And uh, what you're doing is looking at the sort of closest types of rocks or rock formations we have here on Earth in order to try to find out more about what uh, things might be like on other planetary bodies or moons out in space. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, the best. It's all about finding the perfect uh, analogy on Earth. Okay. As you said, I would love to get a trip to the moon and collect my own samples and take my own images, but since we can't no, not do that at the moment, the best thing we can do is look scour the Earth looking for features that look very similar to what we've seen from images taken by planetary missions from spacecrafts such as the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. And then we go to these locations on Earth, we collect samples, collect our own satellite and remote sensing data, and we then start comparing the two, di- two different types of data. Okay, that's really cool. But um, on a, I guess, maybe more bureaucratic administrative side of things, um, in order to sort of study up for this interview, I, I did go and check out some of your previous GradCast episodes. And what I'm sort of wondering is, you said your degree is technically in um, is it Earth and planetary science. That's like geology. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. and But like the sense I get is that you and a lot of your collaborators, you study space. So what I'm wondering is, is there like uh, a division inside Western, Western, some sort of faculty or a department that is that, that studies space? And like, how do you fit in as a sort of planetary scientist, as a geologist, fit into this space program? Well, interesting question. Uh, well, like Earth science and everyone know that physics and astronomy, we all have our own different types of planetary science. The geologists will focus more on the planets, moons, asteroids, and meteorites that we mm-hmm. can sample from various missions. And the physics and astronomers can, they also sometimes study uh, asteroids and meteorites more about their origins. And then they also study bigger structures such as galaxies and nebulas. So, But what we have, that we don't have a department, or, but we do have what's called the Center for Planetary Science and Exploration. Okay. So she's CPSX for short. And what it is is an interdisciplinary center where various departments come together, 
exchange expertise to study a variety of planetary science topics. So we have Earth Science uh, makes up most of the center at the moment, mm -hmm. but then physics and astronomy, we have students from electrical engineering and a couple from geography. And we're hoping to, we're trying to expand into other departments and get other students and faculty interested. So we've been looking at material sciences, looking at biology, education, so around there. So biology, what's, uh, what's the interest in space there? Uh, it will be to do with astrobiology, the study of ex exi mainly on extinct life that may have survived on other planets. I mean, Mars is always the big topic that they think billions of years ago when it probably looks maybe a little bit more like Earth, it must have had life, but no one knows what that life might have been. It probably may have not been similar to what we have on Earth, but there's always the study of like what could it have been and how could have it survived. And astrobiologists are the perfect, pe people, perfect people to study that topic. So aliens, right? aliens. Well, hundred percent aliens. Ancient aliens. No, get well unless you like looking at tiny little microbes. It's probably the closest you you may get at the moment. I still think it's an alien. Oh, absolutely. We don't know its potential. And I mean, if they're fossilized, that's definitionally alien. I mean, ancient, right? So. Yeah, I think so. Archaic, archaic aliens. Well, they still haven't found any direct <laughs> evidence on other planets to say, oh, we found evidence for life, but they've been looking at conditions geologically. It's saying, like, it may have been able to sustain life. We just don't know what that life could be. Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask your opinion on that just briefly. What do you think? What do you think's out there? If you were an astrobiologist and you had to make... Are we, are we expanding beyond our solar system for this? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I think so. I mean, personally, I would imagine there'd be a planet. There's been, they've been proven that there are planets similar to ours, that they have mm -hmm. liquid water, there's land. They could, can't remember if they say they've confirmed a type of vegetation, but it'd be quite bizarre if we found out we're the only multicellular life. If was enough, there's probably mm -hmm. other single cell life out there that could survive right. extreme heat temperatures such as when volcanoes able mm -hmm. to survive ice some of the icy conditions that you can get on the arctic here on earth so personally i think that there probably is other life we just don't haven't don't know where to look and what to look for i like that well, I mean, obviously, we all know that the government is involved in a you know massive cover up on all these For things. Sure. But um, so, I mean, that aside, uh, can you give us an idea of what sort of projects that the Center for Planetary and, and Space Exploration is that it? Uh, what sort of projects do you work on as part of the center? Uh, well, we have a there's always a I'd say a big variety of different topics. Uh, the main ones we people study different types of. Uh, volcanics on other planets, uh, mainly on the Mars, on Mars and the Moon. Uh, people study impact cratering. That's actually one aspect that's been added to my PhD research. Uh, people study the surface processes on other planets, uh, looking at the wind, wind formations that they can see on Mars and the features that they form. Uh, looking at past volcanic features and impact cratering on the Moon, and even looking at volc volcanics on Venus and looking at dunes and craters that are formed on Titan, which is Saturn's largest moon. And other major topics come to identifying and classifying meteorites and asteroids, and studying 
how fl hot fluids can alter specific rocks. Neat, cool. But um, so I gotta ask: Have you ever worked with NASA on any of these projects? Is that a thing that the center here does? There are, there have been a couple projects that NASA has been associated okay. with the projects. Actually, the lava flow study I've done for my masters, I worked alongside the NASA Survey Group, which is a specific group that tries to picture the surface of other planets and study locations on Earth and try to compare them. So very similar to what I was trying to do with the lava flows and what I hope to be able to do in the next three years. And we were, I didn't say necessarily work with them because I only worked alongside them in the field, but they had their own separate projects going on. Oh, cool. So there is a relationship with NASA, other maybe other space agencies around the world? There's, um, we have relationships with mainly the Canadian Space Agency. Okay. That's uh, the agency I actually funded, had did fund my master's and is still funding me at the moment. Uh, there's been, I don't want to say this in case I'm wrong, but I think sometimes the European Space Agency, we collab with them, but I mm -hmm. wouldn't say there's any direct work with them. Very cool. So you mentioned a little bit about impact cratering and um, how that's becoming a main focus towards your, your PhD. So what is that specifically? I'm not too familiar with that. Uh, it's, a, it's a process that happens on all planetary surfaces. It's the one process that all planetary bodies, moons and asteroids, all share with each other. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much just a asteroid that comes off a, meets, comes into a course with a moving body, such as, let's say, the moon. Mm -hmm. And as, as they approach each other, the asteroid will collide into the surface, will release shockwaves into the ground, changing the structure of the rocks, and will excavate different rocks from different surface depths and excavate them and deposit mm -hmm. them around leaving a sometimes a bowl shaped like hole in the ground with like a little blanket of dust surrounding it you get other types what we would call complex craters where it's mm -hmm. the same thing but it's a lot flatter larger and has a little like spike in the center almost like a little peak okay and we have others where it's like the crater and then we could have multiple ring structures which can be as tall as mountains on on the moon have you seen any of those in real life uh, well, if you go six hours, about six, seven hours north, if you go to Sudbury, that okay. town sits within a large crater. Wow. That's, the crater is actually the reason for the rich nickel and copper mines that they have out there. That's, so. yeah, I did not know that. That's a good trivia fact, I would think. Wait, so it, the, the crater is responsible for the, the rich minerals there. Are they mining, like, the remnants of an asteroid? No, 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 no. It's, um... <laughs> For the short story is that there was already all these igneous rocks that were deposited okay. there and they had all these sulfides, but there are, as far as I know, they weren't concentrated as well. But when the, the, the projectile struck the surface, mm -hmm. it melted all these rocks and put them together and concentrated these minerals. So then they were mineable at that point. Okay, so like the, the impact helped focus all together Put it all in a way, in, in, yes. a part, in, a, in a point that was more sort of easily extractable. Yeah, it's like that in a way. Neat. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's, I guess, one that's close to home. Are there any other ones that you might be seeing? Or do you go on field expeditions with your with your PhD? So how does that work, really? Uh, well, 
a possible trip we're hoping to get next summer will be to the Mistastin impact structure, which is located in northern Labrador. Nice. So, so that I'm really hoping can get out there, but we're not confirming anything yet because we have samples already. So okay. I'd only get to go if there's something that we don't have that I really right. need. So what do you collect then from, from these craters? So what types of minerals or rocks? Uh, for me, it's mainly looking at the melt rocks that impact craters okay. create. Mm -hmm. So it's going out there and looking for rocks that look like volcanic or igneous rocks on Earth, but mm -hmm. they have specific minerals that you can't form in igneous processes because mm -hmm. they require temperatures. So, well, some of them require temperatures above 2,000 degrees Celsius mm -hmm. and others sh pressures that even mountain mm -hmm. building cannot even produce wow. or the earth's core sometimes so if we find those rocks what does that tell us about that specific crater uh it can tell us about what what rocks were melted so it can give you mm -hmm. an idea of like how deep did this crater go so you know what rocks are beneath it okay gives you an idea of how much melt was made how the melt mm -hmm. formed and flowed over the surface mm -hmm. so it can also give you an idea of the material that's not visible on the surface, which right. is good for planetary science because mm -hmm. when we look at imagery, we don't really have a good idea of what the subsurface is like, but impact craters have the ability to expose that material okay. on the surface. So this research is more exploratory in the sense that it can be in a retrograde manner, so what happened before this specific site, and sort of in a prospective manner, so what can it influence in the future? So does it have like that sort of bi-directional um, aspect to it um you c it can in a way if it's well preserved okay the problem is on earth with uh, having a dynamic um planet right. with uh, the water the hydric cycle mm -hmm. atmosphere tectonics and very very rarely probably back in the early earth other impact craters that mm -hmm. most of them get erased from from history right so okay. we have missing pieces mm-hmm or we have water, especially water, that will alter the rocks and that we can no longer completely understand what their origin was like. Okay. So sort of in a way, is it that the Earth is not exactly a perfect analog to what these other extraterrestrial uh, systems are like? If we really want to understand impact cratering, we've always pointed to the moon because okay. it doesn't mm -hmm. have an atmosphere, it's not active anymore, so any impacts that happen on that, on that surface are well preserved. The most they ever get is re weathering from solar and cosmic radiation. Hey guys, uh, it's Ariel, the producer here today. I also had a question. Um, really interested in what you were what you were talking about with the craters, and it's 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 uh, it's really cool to to think that um, humans, I guess, on the planet were quite influenced by the history of all these uh, impacts, so to speak. Uh, I guess it makes me wonder. Why aren't we still getting impacted? Why aren't there huge craters anymore? What What's happening? I mean, it's kind of good because uh, we're not at risk per se, but why why don't we see projectiles hitting us, huge projectiles hitting us more frequently anymore? Well, I'd say during the early Earth, there were, there's been, this is one major topic is about a huge flux of impact cratering that occurred about 4 billion years ago, which we've termed the late heavy bombardment, where about between 4 to 3.9 billion years, the Earth and all the other inner, plant, inner planets and moons were constantly bombarded by projectiles. 
and it is mainly why you can see the moon is so riddled. And what we have been trying to figure out is, was this like a, did it actually last longer and start earlier, or was it in that short period? And then that led us to realize that most of the impact creating happened then. And as time progressed, it started to slow down, become very constant and very unfrequent. And can't remember the name of the specific studies that and organizations have looked into this. I know NASA has occasionally, but they've been trying to predict when certain sized projectiles would probably strike Earth. So they've looked at tiny little meter sized objects that get burnt up in the atmosphere. They happen a lot more often than we realize. We just don't know about it because they're burnt up. We have larger ones, which I think if everyone can remember the one that crashed in Russia quite recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a couple few years ago. I, I hadn't heard about it. What happened? It was a few years ago. One landed in it was somewhere in Siberia uh, and it was able to it struck into a lake but the shockwave was strong enough that it shattered windows and people were getting flung from their windowsills because they were just saw a bright light in the sky and thought like oh that looks very pretty but then the sh- they didn't realize that as soon as it lit up that was a shockwave being released because it's just ent- entered the atmosphere and then they just got pushed back, glass shattered everywhere, doors were flung open and ripped up, and car alarms got turned on. And then you get even bigger ones, which are nowhere near as frequent, like every, estimating every 100 million years, one would strike Earth. One's the size of the, big enough that w- that wiped out the dinosaurs. Wow. So that's the, the one that produced the crater that you can find in Mexico, which is called the Chicxulub Crater. And so 65 million years ago, that, so... We're estimating another one that big probably won't hit us for another 35 million years. Seems like we're safe. Also, yeah. uh, Ariel, um, if you haven't already, uh, I recommend you you see the documentary called Armageddon, starring uh, <laughs> Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis. It's It talks all about how the protections that the various space agencies have in place to uh, uh, prevent another similar strike. Um, oh, yeah? What do they have in place? <laughs> well, they, they send uh, oil men up to the asteroid so that they could drill a big hole and then drop a nuclear bomb blowing apart the uh, the incoming asteroid and saving us all. Uh, we, we don't want to be putting, uh, you know, fake news out there, so why don't we ask the es- expert, you know? Hey, Gavin, is that is that true? Could we drill into, a, into an asteroid? Is that is that protection? Are we protecting ourselves? Could we blow up an asteroid if one were about to hit us on Earth? With nuclear weapons. Well, I don't know much about this, in all honesty. Uh, I'll probably only be able to confirm any of that until I see that we can actually return to the moon first. Ah. Once I know we can take send humans back into space, then I'll believe we have potential to stop asteroids. It's <laughs> a very measured answer. I like it. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, you know... All that, that silliness aside, so you said that in uh, for your master's project, you were studying lava fields and, and, and lava here on Earth. And for your uh, PhD work, you're looking at impact craters, all of these things like that. And so it seems like the thing in common is sort of melty rocks. Is there is there more of a connection between these two areas of study than just um, rocks that move? Uh, yeah, well, I, yes, as you said, the main thing is that they're both different they're both melted rocks, mm-hmm. but they both formed, had different origins. One from, when I say endogenic processes, is just from like decompression or melting and hydration inside the earth, okay. and it's mm-hmm. deposited on the surface. 
from impact cratering, it's hypervelocity impact, superheating the rocks and mixing them into one, almost like a big bowl. But those temperatures exceed what we can get in volcanics, about sometimes twice as hot. So would you say like twice as hot, exceeding volcanics, what sort of temperature range are we looking at here? Uh, recent studies studying a what we call, have a cubic zirconium mi- mineral managed okay. to measure temperatures as high as 2,370 degrees Celsius. Wow. But models can sometimes say at the point of impact it could be even be 10,000 Kelvin for like a split millisecond and then just drops. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's it, very hot, eh? It's yeah. kind of <laughs> hard to imagine, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes me wonder. I know that the like on, on Kelvin scale, zero, zero is absolute zero, right? Yeah. Is there a maximum? I mean, I know we, I mean, because we have that scale, and I don't know how that works. Is there a maximum possible? Dem- <laughs> that seems like I don't know. Can you? Is there anything hotter than that? That you may have to talk to a probably a physicist who studies the thermodynamics. <laughs> on thermodynamics. I don't think I know enough to answer that really. But. Back to the comparison. Mm-hmm. That the one yeah. thing they do have in common, though, is that they both flow over planetary surfaces when they're created. They both experience cooling and crystallization. And the, the way they move, they're both influenced by gravity. And what we do notice, especially between Earth and on, on the Moon and Mars, that the surfaces of some lava flows on Earth are very similar to what we can see a huge kilometer scale lava flows on Mars and to impact melt flows that we see on the moon. Uh, my supervisor, uh, Dr. Catherine Nish from Earth Sciences, she's looked into this already and has noticed that lava flows from craters of the moon, where I studied, are not exactly identical based off what we see from radar data, but they're somewhat similar at certain scales. And then we look at lava flows in, and we want to look at lava flows in Iceland because they've been selected as the best analogy to studying Martian lava flows because they're both pre- because the surface on Mars, at least the lava flows, are predicted to be very similar to the huge blocks that we can see on Icelandic lava flows. Wow, that's really cool. So I guess, um, I guess my question is, in trying to study these sort of rock formations, rock behaviors, and stuff like that. What do you hope to learn about these other planets, these other moons? Like, what you you could, so you know, you can find that maybe the rock behaves similarly, but what is it that you can learn about is it what the composition of these other planets are? Um, Well, for the moon, we have a at the moment, we think we have a good general idea of what the subsurface is made of, Mm -hmm. but with impact melts, you can get an, a better idea of just how it behaves on the surface, and I can give you a bit more information about the subsurface and the rocks that it's melted. Oh, please. Uh, well, that's the upcoming research I have to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so to be continued at that point. Is this the the Isolate project or the Labrador one? Uh, I would say both. Okay. Well, the ice. Well, Iceland, it's more of a side. It's not officially part of my research, but right. since I've done all this work before with Craze of the Moon, it's easier to apply it to Iceland. And of course, you know, the upside is you get to go to Iceland. Fingers crossed next August. <laughs> all right, we'll knock on wood for you. All right, so we're coming up near the end here. Um, as Vicky mentioned at the beginning, of our talk here. You are one of the newest members to the GradCast committee. 
And as GradCast, you know, likes to imagine that most graduate students are more than just their research. Can you tell us a little bit about what drew you to the committee? What is it that inspired you to both come on GradCast as a guest and to now join the committee as a host, as a producer, as someone who helps make this all happen? Oh, certainly. Uh, well, I realized that I wanted to improve on my public speaking. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to get used to talking about my research and not in talking to another geologist or planetary science, but be able to talk to any scientist or any citizen of throughout Canada and any country for that matter. And GradCast, I thought this is probably the best way I can develop that skill, make it better. And after I got to know some of you guys from the first time, I realized this committee is actually a lot of fun and I'd like to get more involved with it. Oh, that is absolutely lovely. Thank you for saying so. Just a shameless plug-in for, for GradCast in case anybody else would like to join. We are all very fun. And I've not met so many people that get really into karaoke. So it's <laughs> good to being able to yeah, share thank, that. Thank you, uh, yeah, thank you, potentially, Sogs, for helping us with uh, our team-building <laughs> events. I think uh, Gavin could say that we you know, learned a lot about each other and we're, and we're going to be uh, a better committee for it. I mean, on the subject of karaoke and songs and singing, oh, um, no. you know that, of course, that the uh, the Voyager satellite uh, probes uh, carried on a golden disc with samples of music from the Earth. Um, if it were up to you to send the next like probe way out there into the universe, is there a musical selection that you would like to see added onto this new golden disc? Um, me put on the spot, uh, <laughs> or you know, you performing your favorite karaoke hit. Well, I remember my favorite karaoke. One of them was probably uh, "Billie Jean" by Michael Jackson. Uh, I think that's a good one. That's something that potential, you know, microorganisms in space would like to hear. If anything, from our Earth urshan music every form yeah. of life deserves to dance to good music yeah absolutely and they deserve to hear it performed by you our guest today <laughs> gavin talametti thank you very much for coming on gradcast well thank you for having me okay and thank you vicky for uh, co-hosting today thank you guys for listening shout out to ariel frame our producer yay Woo! So this has been your GradCast for this Tuesday evening. My name is Yemin Chen. We are a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. If you would like to come on the show and talk about your work, or like Gavin, perhaps, if you would like to come on and join the committee as well, maybe sing some karaoke, uh, you can reach us at on email at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can also find our podcasts at our website, gradcast.ca. And of course, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, on Google Play, or wherever you get fine podcasts. And of course, we are always uh, on the air live on Radio Western CHRW, 6 p.m. every Tuesday. And newly, we have Spotify. So if you like Spotify and you're and you're subscribing to a bunch of stuff there, you know, we look up, look us up there. We're also on Spotify. That's right. And one more thing, I forgot to ask you, Gavin. 
uh, as someone who plays Scrabble and who has friends who play Scrabble, um, there is a certain two-letter word that I have that's been the bane of my existence. Uh, apparently, it's a type of lava. It's it's a it's a a a a. Yep. yep. It's a poly- It's originally a Polynesian. It describes a lava that is viscously torn. So if you imagine when you have taffy and you just pull it, it has that type of texture. And as it slowly lugs its way from the volcanic vent and it forms this very clinkered, jagged surface, that's the type of lava flow. Okay, so as to everyone who I've played Scrabble with in the past and sort of yelled at because they played this word, I am sorry. You were right. Thank you. Good night. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.